don't be naive about life. Things are not going to magically happen to you. You need to get up and make them happen. Ask for help where you need it. People are mostly nice. I really wish someone had literally taken me by the shoulders, shaken me up and said, you know, do this stuff. Go out and, and make your life. I might have taken it more seriously then. What's up? Welcome to Sweathead with Mark Pollard. We've got a different type of episode today. I've got a friend in, Libby Swan. She's going to host us through a deep and intimate conversation with some friends that we happen to know, but that I haven't seen or heard from in a very long time. And I'm very excited. And Libby, you're going to do the setup. You're going to do the introductions and then we're going to chat. Over to you. Sure. Thank you. Yeah. So um, to Mark's audience, uh, yeah, I'm praying just as much as you are that this is going to be up to Mark's usual standard. So um, first up, guest-wise, we have here is Grace. Grace, I'm going to get you to pronounce your last name because I'm really worried <laughs> about screwing it up. It's Stady Massery. There we go. That sounds yeah. better than I'm going to be able to do it. Um, <laughs> so, Grace, you're the head of program management at Square's Creative Studio, right? Yep, that's correct. And you're currently in what looks like Sunny Island, right? Yes, I know. I'm so lucky. I don't know why yeah. I ever left. The sky's been blue ever since I got here. That's beautiful. I'm going to ask a random question. What did you eat for breakfast today? Uh, well, I'm doing a nutrition course at the moment, so I'm very careful about what I eat and trying to have okay. seven colors in all of my meals. So okay. I had uh, yogurt with pear and peanut butter and then lots of seeds and some blueberries. Delicious. Nice. Everyone, <laughs> that's Grace. And then next up we have Anjali. Anjali Ramachandran. I pronounced, I'm more familiar with your name, so. Um, You're right, yeah. <laughs> okay. yeah that's right. <laughs> I did that okay. And Anjali is the director of Story Things and co founder of Ada's List and is also a mother of two. So, a mother of two organizations and two children, right? Yeah, <laughs> one, way of, one way of saying it, yeah. <laughs> how did you make today happen? I'm quite curious given everything that you're trying to manage. Well, first, uh, the fact that London is actually under tier two restrictions, which sounds bad depending on which part of the world you're from, but it basically means that childcare providers can stay open. So my eldest was able to go to nursery. <laughs> That's one good news. Uh, okay. The second is that luckily my husband was, is working from home today and is able to take care of our youngest, watch his, his own son. You know, I get really annoyed when people say, oh, the father's babysitting. No, hmm. he's He's taking care of his own son and his own child. <laughs> so those two things aligned and that's what has made me able to it's, today. It's <laughs> funny that you say that. I actually got myself in trouble at a wedding once because a, a woman said to me, oh, yeah, my husband's at home babysitting the kids. And I'm like, what do you mean by babysitting the kids? She didn't get it. And then I, <laughs> yeah, and conversation kind of stopped from there. And last but not least, Mark. And, uh, yeah, if you've just tuned in, Mark is the host of this podcast usually. Uh, the Sweathead podcast. He's also the author of Strategy Is Your Words, which got released. It got released in 2020, right, Mark? That's correct. And, um, and, I'm, and I'm still here. And you're still here. And yeah. from what I hear, it's doing quite well. I've, hit, I've seen and, and heard some great reviews. Um, I'm mostly gobsmacked at the fact that I, that Grace used to be an intern at Big Spaceship where I worked, <laughs> and now she's like grown, <laughs> fully grown. Now she's a guest on your podcast. <laughs> it's so weird. There you go. <laughs> it's so weird. She must be looking at me going like, he must be ready for retirement. <laughs> <laughs> what is retirement anyway? So True. there was a great um, artist, I think, the guy who came up with I Love New York, that picture. He was interviewed in the New York Times and they asked him, oh, so when are you going to retire? And he's like, what is this word retire? 
and yeah, anyway, so it was, if I could remember it verbatim, I'd, I'd, that'd be better than, um, okay. That's, so that's, that's a valid point of view. <laughs> the so, retirement um, is unnecessary. Yes. Yeah. It is just a word after all. And hey, if you're doing what you love, says. then yeah. <laughs> yeah. I'm just going to bring the audience up to speed. So I sent everyone here today, Grace, Mark, Anjali, two excerpts from two different podcasts. And I'm going to go into the first excerpt and we're going to talk about it and I'm going to ask you questions about it. So the first excerpt was from a podcast, uh, Alina Brower's podcast. It was episode number 10 where she was in conversation with this guy called Diego Perez, a.k.a. Jung Pablo. Has any of you, before I'd sent it to you, had any of you heard of Jung Pablo or Alina Brower? No, no I'm I hadn't. Just Jung. Yeah. You had heard of Young, okay. Mm-hmm. I had heard of Young, yeah, but not, not in great detail. I knew his name. Yeah, yeah. So I'm going to call this excerpt um, from this podcast Cravings versus Goals. Uh, and so these are Diego's, a.k.a. Young Pablo's words. When we have a goal, oftentimes we don't even realize that that goal quickly turns into a craving. And once that craving wraps itself densely in our mind, we create so much tension around it that even though we're working with a lot of determination, the thing that we want is being pushed away because energetically we become like a closed door. I've noticed in my own life feeling how the moments of tension when I would really crave something deeply would just make all of my goals take longer and longer. If we can work with something as a goal, meaning we can work towards it, and when we don't get it, it's okay, we just keep working. But you know it's a craving when you work towards it and you're just like, damn, and you're upset and you're wrapping yourself around in anger again and again, and then you know this is actually a craving. When you have something as a goal, you get it a lot more quickly. So that was the excerpt. That Those were Diego's or a.k.a. Young Pablo's words. So I'm going to go around the circle here and ask you each the following questions. So I guess I'm going to start with Grace, given I haven't really heard much from you yet. Um, <laughs> in ref- <laughs> Kind of put yourself here. Um, in reflecting in your, on your life, when have you seen a goal become a craving? So I have very poor, poor memory, but uh, so I'm just going to pull from my latest memory of a goal becoming a craving. And that's probably my move to Ireland. So I had been thinking for a long time that I wanted to try living in Ireland as an adult because I moved to the States um, basically as a child, even though I thought I was a grown up by then after college and so anyway I'd been thinking of moving here and for the last couple of years I'd been thinking about it more as a goal and just like something I want to do at some point and then when COVID hit earlier this year and I hate to bring up COVID but that's when it kind of became a craving and that's when I was like I need to go to Ireland Um, and I had to just get the wheels in motion to make it happen. And did in it becoming a craving was that a negative thing or did you find like it was I, I guess because um, he's like this, this, this quote essentially says when a goal becomes a craving, it becomes harder, harder to achieve. So I wanted to understand if then getting to Ireland was harder to achieve because it became a craving. I think it was more um, what I realized was that, well, first of all, getting the wheels in motion to come to Ireland were dependent on a lot of things. And so I kind of had to prep myself with the, you know, the reality that I might not be able to do it. And so kind of think of plan B's that I would be excited about as well. And so by doing that and having to slow down the process of achieving this craving or 
this goal, I had to think about why exactly did I want to come back to Ireland and what were alternatives that would make me just as happy. And I think what I realized was Ireland, or at least Dublin, where I'm at now is by the sea and near the mountains and the proximity to nature is amazing compared to where I was in Brooklyn at the time. And so then I realized that maybe my goal and my craving was that actually Ireland, it was just being closer to nature. And then I was able to kind of turn the craving back into a goal, make it a bit more broad. And so that, you know, even though the general direction I was going towards was Ireland, I had other options if that didn't work out. Um, Got it. Yeah. So, so it became less location specific and more environmental specific. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And, uh, Anjali, uh, I guess in your life, when have you seen a goal become a craving where you've been wrapping yourself around in anger again and again? <laughs> Sure. Um, so I write a newsletter called The Other Valleys, which some people may know, I don't know. Uh, it's about interesting creative and technology news outside of the global north, so not the UK and the US. And when I started it in 2014, a few people other than my family and friends started to sign up to it. So I was like, wow, I'm writing something that people want to read. Who knew? And I had this goal to grow it bigger and bigger. And that became a craving. In the process of trying to satisfy this craving, I started, you know, trying to experiment with formats. So I remember working with a developer friend of mine to try and create an RSS feed um, of the newsletters because that was something that Tiny Letter, which is where I hosted the newsletter at the time, couldn't do that. And then I remembered a big brainstorm with another strategist friend of mine um, uh, and we wound up, the outcome of that was that, um, you know, I decided that would be a good, we decided it'd be a good idea to, to create a website to host uh, some of the interviews that I was doing for the newsletter. And so on and so forth. And then I just realized that none of it made an ounce of difference, right? I was what what mattered was the content. What mattered was the interesting links that I was sending out. And I that craving, I just decided, you know, it's not getting a response. So I let go of that craving and I just went back to the original goal, which was to write interesting content that was focused around the specific topic, which was non-Western news. And, you know, it, it just became much easier to do. It didn't feel like this big weight on my head all the time, which is which is what it had started feeling like. Admittedly, it's been a while now since I've written it because I've just had a baby and all that, but I will get back to it. And when, when that happens, you know, it will be because I want to write it. It's not going to be because I want to massively grow an audience. It's because I want to do it for me. And I think that, that I, logic that, you know, craving for something isn't going to make it happen. Just write because you do something because you want to. Um, I think, you know, that lack of response made something go ting in the back of my head and it shouldn't have taken that long, but it did. So, yeah. Nice. Mark. Yeah. The words craving or cravings and goals, I think are interesting. So if I understand correctly, a craving in this sense is an idea that you are obsessed with that you essentially are addicted to and that makes you angry and that that keeps you away from the thing that you want mm. and then goals even to look at what Anjali was saying I think there's a split there that's useful which is to think of process goals versus outcome goals where perhaps the way that the idea of a craving is being used here is actually to say an outcome goal an outcome goal could be to become a New York Times best-selling author but the process goal that would get you there is writing a page a day or five pages a week, right? And that feels like the correction that, I use the word correction uh, in a non-judgmental way, but what uh, Anjali self-reported just there about how <laughs> she 
change her perspective, right? You go back to the process. And so personally, ideas that I'm obsessed with, feel addicted to, I really don't know. Uh, you know, I think I'm searching for some kind of self-expression and the anger that I felt working in agencies at times, anger is a strong word, but at times was a feeling of repression. And it really came through the epiphany that I was probably doing it to myself, that I wasn't taking responsibility for my own need to self-express, that I was waiting to do it through a strategy project, through a brief or through social media posts for a brand or whatever it is, that that wasn't enough for me. But I don't really have obsessive ideas. And, and even what I do with, with Sweathead, for example, Facebook groups, relatively big, podcasts, et cetera, I, they're just pro, they're, I focus on process goals with them. I don't optimize for like having thousands and thousands of listeners. I just like interviewing people. So I do interviews every week. So I don't, I don't have a lot of cravings in that sense. Um, but the process goals, even when with writing a book, and sorry to be referring to my own creative uh, projects and what I do, feels kind of narcissistic, but also they are the antidote to my feelings of self-oppression. But it was like, you know what, you, you, you want to write a book, sit down, work out your workflow and go write it and do, give yourself a brief every day for three or four months. And that's what I did. So I don't really identify with the craving. I, I think that there's definitely like an, an, a sense of abandonment, which might or might not be true, that causes anger in me. There's a, a need for validation. Um, there's a frustration that I can be a bit of an isolated individual and struggle in social situations at times. I'm being a bit dramatic. But there's no like, I need to be a thing in life so that people take me seriously. I'm just like, dude, do your interviews, do your writing. So don't quite yeah. identify with the cravings thing. I, want, I need to ruminate on it a little bit more. Yeah, I'm, I'm a bit like you. I want to ruminate. I think I'll be ruminating the rest of my life on this. When I heard this for the first time, it just really kind of triggered me in many ways. It was speaking to something that I needed to hear, which is why I reached out to you all and wanted to have a conversation with you about it. Because I, I think, if I'm not mistaken, it's, uh, it's, a, it's, it's a good introspective conversation for anyone. But when I was listening to it, I was lucky enough during this whole pandemic period to get some time of solitude and during that point of solitude I was lucky enough to start seeing how certain goals in my life had become cravings um, and hearing this just kind of gave me that point of oh Libby step back a little and and look at mm, what what's the goal and when and where does do you see evidence of it becoming a craving because I do see myself wrapping myself around in anger or saying damn or getting upset about certain things and now I guess I guess having heard this and ruminated a bit over it um I'm like oh those are warning signals of my goal becoming a craving I just think yeah. I think it's interesting and a little strange that the idea of craving is negative potentially and connected mm. to anger I sometimes mm. crave touch mm. I crave I crave a hug Mm. I might crave chocolate. Like mm. I'm not. That's not repressing me. Right. Touch, touch and cuddles are nice. So this this so this is where it comes down to language and words, which is what your book is all about, right? Like strategy is your words, and 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 so what we all define. Like it's almost like sometimes when we do these podcasts, it's like, okay, should we all step back and everyone define what we what we see and hear when we see this word? Because yeah, um, I think it's really I think it's really important. Yeah. I think I, things to do with achieving status are often going to be the golem, Lord of the Rings golem in people's heads that they're like, right. how could I be, sorry, this is a gendered phrase. How can I be the yeah. big man on campus? Yeah. Or like the, we talked about using rude words. I'm going to use one. 
pleasure is big right. deep energy. apologies that they're gendered but yeah. I, I can you can sense that especially I can definitely sense that with men yeah um, be like oh, I just want to be the big man on campus and yeah what does that mean and it can lead to this sense of repression but also that repression right. can lead to people resenting other people who mm-hmm. are content and sitting down and writing their book and it can then lead to hatred so that mm-hmm. craving the way it's structured here can actually lead to real bad behavior and actually poor mental mm-hmm. I also yeah. wonder, sorry, go ahead, Grace. I was just going to say, just in terms of definitions, I could also see craving being the focus on, it's focusing on what you don't have, whereas the goal might be focusing on where you're going to or the direction. So maybe that's why it could also be seen as negative. It's maybe looking at, you know, glass half empty type of thing, mm. potentially. Yeah. Yeah, and I think in terms of the surprising, um, it was interesting to me, Mark, what you said about cravings potentially not being bad, because, you know, when you crave a hug or crave sugar, you know, to make yourself feel good, that's not a bad thing, and I quite agree. And I think that popular culture, popular media, typically cravings are spoken about with regards to drugs or alcohol. And when mm-hmm. those become cravings, they become addictions, and when they become addictions, people get into this loop, this cycle. So but I, honey, I think sugar's an addiction as well. So if you want to go down sugar. the addiction, I think our thoughts are addictions. So true, so true. And I'm a sugar addict. I'm the first person to raise my hand up. As anyone who knows me will say, I just, I just, I crave sugar every single day. So I think a lot of it has to do with with what we see ourselves accosted by um, on a regular basis. The fact that if right. you crave something so so much it's bad for you which uh, as mark was saying i don't don't see why it should be that way so it is in the language of the words well yeah i I think i think the idea about going addressing a craving isn't to like slap yourself in the hand say naughty don't do that again i think there's a lot of self-love and empathy for oneself that you need to take if you do find yourself wrapping yourself in anger or getting upset and going damn and all that stuff but um i don't think it's a oh i did this therefore i need to punish myself i don't i tried that for many years most of my life and then got to a point and go went hmm, that really doesn't work or help me continue to expand or go in the direction that I want to go in. So, yeah. Yeah, I think if if you wrap the word craving with a negativity or respond to craving with a negativity, then it can lead you to a scary, potentially darker place. Yeah. The second excerpt I shared with you all uh, was from a podcast, Tim Ferriss Podcast. And uh, episode 441, entitled Tribe of Mentors. It was Tribe of Mentors with Nabal Ravikant and some others, but the excerpt that I'm going to be... Susan Cain and Yuval Noah Harari. Yeah, I listened to the whole Thank episode. You. Thank you. Thanks to Thank you. Thank you. Did you like the episode? I did. Angela? I did. I really did. Lots to think about. The excerpt I'm going to, or that I shared with you all and that I'm going to read out to the audience is uh, called Desires. Well, I've, I've called it Desires. And so these are Nabal Ravikant's words. Desire is a driver, a motivator. A sincere and uncompromising desire placed above everything else is nearly always fulfilled. But every setback, every judgment forms its own desire and soon we drown in them. Each one a problem to be solved and we suffer until it's fulfilled. It's okay to have a desire, but pick a big one and pick it carefully. Drop the small ones. Anjali, I'm going to start with you. Again, in your life, have you ever seen to seen yourself start to drown in the setbacks and judgments in relationship to a specific desire? 
Yes. Now, this is where it starts getting a bit confessional uh, and this episode starts becoming a bit like therapy. But um, <laughs> and, and you'll see why. You'll see why soon. Yes, I've had a desire that did result in a number of setbacks for me. And uh, I think that now some of the listeners of this podcast, you know, parents, they might be wanting to be parents. And it's funny that, A, I just want to get this thought out of the way, which is it's funny that I'm talking about parenthood so much because I rarely do, if at all. It's just something I've uh, held quite separate from me for some some reason, a reason you might find out more about now. I think it's important not to try and draw those distinctions. So in my late 20s and early 30s, um, I remember uh, talking to to one of my uh, uh, bosses at the time who was having difficulty having a child. And he said, you know, Anjali, if you want children, you should go for it right now. Don't wait. And I thought that was, you know, in well, it didn't apply to me because I wasn't that serious about wanting a family at the time. And then it turned out that I was one of the six or seven people, women in the world who would have trouble conceiving. And fertility issues aren't something that is spoken about a lot, definitely not in our industry. And it should be. Even in schools, it should be. If you ask me, universities and schools, it should be. But talking about where I am now and have been for a long time in my career, no one mentions that, uh, or they're not part of policies and procedures, not a regular part at least. And that's changing now. I know a few companies who have things like uh, menopause policies and, and you know policies to freeze your eggs, like Facebook and, and some of the big tech companies do now. But nobody told me that it was going to be hard. And at the same time, I had this desire to, to be successful in my career as a woman alongside you know having a family successfully. That process took nigh on 10 years and setback after setback after setback. You know, I won't bore you with the details, but various tests you had to go. You have to go for blood tests. You have to go for you know, various surgeries. You have to go for lots of different investigations. And all along, I was trying my best to be a, a professional. You know, I wouldn't say successful professional, but, you know, hold the semblance of working, you know, as well as I could. I would say... I succeeded for for the la- most part. I would I think um, I tried my best. I did fairly well at work, and at the same time as all that was going on, I was crumbling from the inside. I lost some friends because you know that kind of experience makes you look inwards instead of outwards. You don't want to meet people. You don't want to you know talk about it, which is why again you know I haven't spoken about it for so long and this is actually the first time I am speaking about it openly I'd, I didn't speak about it too openly to my parents I haven't um, to most friends at least hardly anyone or I can count on my you know, one hand the number of people who knew what I was going through and every single time you see a negative result or uh, whether it's um, you know and it's not just a pregnancy test result it could be you know the result of you know your ovarian reserve it could be anything and there are lots of results that you see through the process. It was completely at odds with the results I'd seen through my education and career till then, which was reasonably successful, actually. I'd, I'd you know, done work on some great projects. I'd worked with some great people, some great brands. I was fairly happy. And then this came through, this maelstrom of you know, emotions and feelings at the same time as trying to climb um, a professional ladder. The, the times I worked best was when I was 
able to detach myself, at least temporarily, from the absolute tornado of feelings that I was going through. Um, and I think it taught me uh, empathy, hell of a lot of empathy, empathy for people who go through this on a regular basis that I was not even aware of till then, and resilience. And I think those are two qualities that um, I'd like to say I have uh, now that I absolutely did not earlier and that I really do realize the importance of because if you need to get through life, you need to be resilient and you need to, to be empathetic to what people are going through if you want to, you know, come up with campaigning and messages, and especially in, in, in you know, the strategy advertising media industry that, uh, that people can relate to. The desire to, to, you know, to have a family, I think Trump's for many people, everything else, and rightly or wrongly, um, some people succeed, some people don't. I was I'm one of the lucky ones, absolutely recognize that. Um, yeah, and I think those kinds of setbacks, not a lot of people should see. It's not something I'd want anyone to go through, um, but it really makes you resilient and, um, and, and get up and keep going and say, you know, not much else can be can be this bad. Um, and not making light of you know other health issues, which I know a lot of people have. Mark was talking at the beginning of uh, you know before we started recording about things that his friends have gone through, and uh, not to make light of any of all that or of all the issues that people have. But it's I think it's important to recognize that desire is one thing. You may or may not get that desire, but you need to figure out how to get through life, whether or not you you get that desire achieved or fulfilled. Rather, I, I just want to say thank you for sharing that with you with us. And an audience, if that's not something that you've shared quite openly in your yeah. life with others, no, so um, <laughs> I think I bow down to you. <laughs> um, I don't know how to explain how else audibly, but um, yeah, no, thank you for sharing that with us. Thank you. Yeah, and I just want to say how important it is, you know, towards the end of all that, um, I started working where I am now and having the support of um, people who you work with on a day-to-day -day basis um, and, you know, working on projects that mean something to you, um, having their, you know, mental support, their physical, you know, support just there to be there uh, where you feel comfortable enough to talk about all these things. There are a couple of the few of the people who knew what I was going through, I think, at some points at least. Um, it can do a lot, make a lot of difference to, to how you then emerge from that uh, experience and go on to do your work. I wish more, so, more people and more companies, you know, had that awareness. I guess it's the bringing the humanity into the workplace, I think is what you're saying. Yeah. Yeah. yeah it's, it's, it's tough. I think like if I look back to my, I, Mark, I know a lot of your audience, are, um, I think in their thirties, twenties and, um, if I look back to that age within within my career, I, I, I was not at any point, I think, ready to be as open and transparent and forthcoming with my feelings and what I'm 100%. going through as I am now. So, 100%. Yeah, I mean, yeah, and I think time has something to do with it as well. So mm. the reason I opened up to you today has something to do with the fact that, you know, I've grown up, matured, I would like to think um, and feel comfortable about uh, talking mm -hmm. about those experiences now. I'm going off track a bit, but how do you think, how can we crack that or hack that for the younger generation? Like if we get to this point at our age, like I, I, look, I'm in my mid forties and, and I think Grace, you're the youngest one here, if I'm not mistaken. Um, but how, um, is there a way, is there a way in which to, and so Grace, maybe I'll ask this question of you. 
<laughs> how how can we crack humanity in the workplace so that it doesn't take like oh you need to get to x age before you feel comfortable in doing like some of the things Anjali's spoken about I kind of think it just takes people to lead by example to be honest I think mm. um something I've done with my team is that I did an interesting workshop or took part in an interesting workshop, which was about the aspects that you bring of yourself at work and what do you not bring of yourself at work. And we talked about different things and people asked me, what do you not bring of yourself? Like what aspects do you not bring of yourself at work? And I thought, I kind of feel like I bring my whole self, but it's true that I maybe don't talk about the fact that my dad is Muslim from Lebanon. My mom is Catholic from Ireland and, you know, maybe just kind of mix a background that I come from and the fact that, you know, people always ask me where I'm from. And I'm like, I'm French, Irish, Lebanese. I live in the States right now. Like I don't have a home. I just come from lots of different places and I identify as lots of different, lots of different things, but it's something that I don't talk about at work, but just because I just don't feel like it's relevant. And then I realized if my direct reports did the same thing uh, or felt the same way, there's a lot of important stuff I wouldn't know about them. And so I started talking a little bit more openly about myself and how I feel. And if I was, I recently had a bit of a burnout, so I talked a little bit about that. And it kind of, it seemed everyone really appreciated that and started opening up themselves and talking more about how they felt, even just about the pandemic and all those things. Oftentimes we're just so in work mode that we just don't think of talking about more human basic level stuff that's actually quite important. And so I think in this example, it was just me doing it and kind of showing that you can talk about these things at work and you can be your whole self at work and then other people start doing it as well. So I'd say leading by example is probably the best one. Yeah, that's awesome. Then just finding that first person to lead by example. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Mark, in relationship to the desire as a driver and motivator, um, it's okay to have a desire but pick a big one and pick it carefully. What do you think about that in terms of the desire that you've chosen in life? Um, do you think you've picked a big one? Do you think you've picked it carefully? Or I guess just in general, what are your thoughts on Naval's words as dri- desire as a driver and pick big ones and drop the small ones and be careful about what you pick? Uh yeah, I guess my desire now is to live more of my life, if not all of my life, but the, the clean majority of my life based around identifying as more of an artist and the, doing the things that bring me to life. Chats like this, interviewing people, writing. And so that's my desire. And what I think is useful about that is that my desire is connected to an identity, who I want to be. And within that identity, there are natural behaviors because if you want to identify as more of an artist, and I realize that that's a pretentious idea for some people, but for me, it's uh, deeply, I would say spiritual. It's like, it it comes from a lot of pain of not self-expressing, of not calling myself a writer despite writing in public for 25 Mm -hmm. years and writing and publishing a magazine. Um, But that identity leads me to wake up and go, well, what do I need to do today if I'm feeling down or a bit lost? And it's like, well, you said you wanted to be an artist, so go do some art. And that could be silly strategy drawings. But that's really where I'm at right now. And that's not about being like a top podcast or a best-selling author or this or that. It's like, how do I want to live my day? And, and, And so when I feel Gollum around saying, oh, but you could try to have all these other things, I'm like, shh. 
I'm just going to go do a little baby strategy drawing that's going to be super ugly and I'm going to put it on the internet and see what happens. And maybe at some point it won't be about strategy, but that's okay because I'll be waking up every day, most days of the week, knowing that, you know, it's really what you do with your time and, 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 and focusing on the things that bring you to life more often than not. So, and, and that's from the journey of trying to work out how to solve for all these other things and those things didn't quite work. Um, and on paper, I guess I succeeded, but now I'm actually, I actually feel I'm succeeding, but I don't think in those terms. I'm just like, oh, wow, this is really cool, but I'll still get up and I'll write another book or I'll do what I need to do. That's, that's what my life's about. So you gave your, uh, the negative critic a name, Gollum. Do you give your positive, like, encourager a name? No, I have had phases of naming the different voices <laughs> in my head. Yeah. Uh, I've, not, I've not referred to them recently, mm-hmm. but I do sense I'm better able to connect to compassion and love largely through a bit of exposure to yoga in the past four mm-hmm. or five years. And that is to cure growing up in more of a fight or flight mentality, which has led to anxiety. Um, you know, there were phases, I, I was lucky I had got a good education and was told that I had a good brain from a young age, but that's basically yeah. all I had that was stable and my brain's not stable. I was carrying weapons at the age, a little bit older than my son right now. It's fucking ridiculous. Yeah. Absolutely ridiculous. Never wanted to use them, but I felt I had to have them in case I got caught up in some stuff. It's just stupid. Um, and so never feeling sort of physically safe or, or necessarily wanted um, and then sort of stumbling into this industry, which really has been good to me, uh, appetizing, not always easy, but now I feel more in myself, but that's an early forties thing. And so it's interesting mm. hearing us talk about people in the twenties and thirties, because a lot of the people that I have read, people who've studied psychology and written about it, very famous people, it feels like it's the thirties and forties thing for many people. And mm. so I, I just... Put- I wouldn't put too much pressure on people in their twenties to know exactly who they are right. and have everything sorted out and to be really right. capable of saying what they think and speaking truth yeah. to power. There'll be a small group of people who can do that. It's another 10, 20 years. You got to chip, chip away and let crisis hmm. weather you. And then you pop out and you're like, I'm going to do baby strategy drawings on Instagram. Right. So then the idea of like kind of hacking it for a younger age group could actually be disastrous. It could have negative consequences. Yeah. Well, I, I think when you're young, just keep trying stuff Yeah. and work out when, see, I'm not a big fan of the way the word craving was used earlier, but work out when you're mm. harboring an ambition that feels like resentment and you're hurting yourself or other people because of it. Mm. There's nothing wrong with the word craving. There's nothing wrong with having a craving unless you're hurting yourself, you're mm. hurting other people. And so I think it's through action and, and setting goals. But for me, it's process goals. What are you going to do every day or every few days? You know, you don't have to put these crazy uh, targets uh, in front of yourself, although it is useful to write down your goals and to be ambitious. And from what I understand, the research suggests that people who are relatively clear in their goals and write them down tend to be more likely to achieve them. So I, I believe in that. But it's really, I think, when you notice that your ambition is really partnered and married to resentment, uh, where you're focusing on other people and comparing yourself to them all the time, as opposed to trying to connect to the thing that's inside you. And that could take 10, 20 years of additional activity from your 20s to actually work out what it is inside you. And then you're going to make it up anyway. But the point is to make it up and take responsibility for it and to bring it to life more often than not, right? Yeah. 
Well, I, look, thank you, everyone. I'm going to wrap this up with one more question. Grace, what's one piece of advice that you'd want to give someone still fairly young in their career in terms of working towards their goals and or choosing a worthy desire? Or you can answer this as what would be the advice you would given, had given yourself, your younger self in your career in terms of choosing goals or choosing a worthy desire? I think that probably just not to put too much pressure on yourself and to not feel, be okay with the fact that your goal is going to change, that what you like today may be different next year. Um, and that just because a door might seem closed right now doesn't mean it won't open later on. So I think in general, just being flexible um, um, is probably the most important. Anjali? I think what I'm going to say might apply to more a few people rather than a majority but and it has to do with how you know I grew up and what I was taught which was to be quite which was never formally I was never formally taught to be confident and self-assured and, and all these kinds of things that I think a lot of younger people today are and so to people who are over like me I just want to say don't be fucking naive about life. Um, things are not going to magically happen to you. You need to, mm. to get up and make them happen. Ask for help where you need it. Uh, people are mostly nice. If they say no, that's not the worst thing that can happen to you. Just pick yourself up and go on. So uh, you try different things, as, as Grace said, but keep going and ask for stuff like join the networks ask for help ask for favors if you know people well enough um because that's opening different doors and trying out different doors is, is the only way you'll figure out what exactly you want to do and if you just sit expecting things to be handed to you they never will and for a long time i think you know i was sort of quiet and reticent enough to think that you know i'll just meander along and, and, and i'm sure i'll be fine but the best times for me or the most alive I felt is when I actually went out and seeked stuff out and made, made stuff happen. And um, yeah, you'll know because you will feel alive with it, but don't, don't think that it'll happen to you. Make things happen. And I'm saying this with what I hope is passion. And I hope that comes through on the podcast because I really wish someone had literally taken me by the shoulders, shaken me up and said, you know, do this stuff, go out and, and make your life because, you know, I might've taken it more seriously. Then. <laughs> yeah. Just on that night, naivety can lead to really bad mental health outcomes. And I know you're using that in a relatively broad way, but if mm -hmm. you grow up in an environment where you're very protected and you think the world is very ordered and then you get out into the world, people will take advantage of you. Yeah. It can, can lead to PTSD and anxiety and all these things because you spent so long in this world that was ordered and perfect and you knew where authority was and you get out into the world and you're like, oh, that's not exactly what it is. So I, I yeah. think that's, that's good advice. I also want to say like, if, like what you said, Anjali, in terms of making things happen, I'm still learning that. And it's funny because I'm going to be a bit self-congratulating, but I made what we're doing here today happen just by asking the question. Totally. And Mark said yes. And, like, I didn't expect he could have said no. <laughs> and, well, and kudos and thanks, Mark, to you for saying yes. I think that might be somewhat related to your desire to go towards the path of artistry and I think maybe you're going, oh, I'm going to say yes to everything. Um, <laughs> I don't know. But, um you know, there was that element of like, I really woke up one day with this idea of like, oh, I want to talk about these things with some other people. 
oh, how can they do that? Oh, maybe Mark wants to do a podcast with me on it. And I asked and he said yes. But, yeah, anyway, I've, I continue to ask and people will say no, but it doesn't stop me from asking because there's enough yeses that encourage me to know that asking can lead to pretty cool and fun things. And, uh, Mark, I'll finish off with you. I guess what would you tell, want to tell someone young about choosing a goal or desire? What would you tell your young self about choosing a goal or desire? Yeah, I don't know what I'd tell my young self. I think that would be quite a deep and savage talk that my young self might be might have been ready for, but I'm not sure. But I, I think it's just like stay active. Don't outsource your life and decisions in your life to other people. For people who are pretty empathetic and intuitive and maybe introverted and, and, and high in agreeableness, as in people pleasers, Sometimes they outsource decisions in their lives to other people. And then, and I know this is completely unoriginal, but then you could actually just be someone acting in somebody else's movie, as opposed to staying active, thinking about the tasks that you want to strive for, the goals that you're striving for, and not in that golem way, just in a, in a compassionate way where, yes, put some pressure on yourself. Like, you know, I did a hundred classes in a hundred days. That was a bit of pressure to create all that sort of stuff. And I'm glad I did it. It was stressful. I lost sleep over it, but I, I got through and then I'll give myself a few weeks, maybe a few months just to calm it down on and off. Right. But that's also recognizing in myself, which I think is important when you're young, that I'm more of a sprinter. I'm more of a burst operator. I know other people who love just to work eight hours a day, sit in the same desk, barely get up. That's them. That's not me. And because I'm not like that doesn't mean that I'm broken. So stay active Try to work out what your strengths are. Try not to allow other people to make a lot of decisions for you. And if you're a bit eccentric, eccentricity, it's not brokenness. And I feel that those four things going together would be my little operating system to get through my 20s and 30s. And they might have led to me, for example, uh, when my magazine ended when I was 28, well, maybe it wouldn't have ended. Maybe I would have been smarter with it. Uh, maybe I would have kept writing. Maybe I would have written books earlier. I wouldn't have just looked to my advertising career to solve all my like, intellectual problems and needs. Uh, but that's not to resent any of that either. What would you tell yourself, Libby? Oh, I was mm, yes. funny because I was thinking, oh, I'm not, I'm not, I'm not going to answer this question. <laughs> I don't think I would have listened and I have learnt the practice of listening as I'm getting older. It's funny, I get for Clem saying that because I just don't think I would have listened. I think that's kind of sad. <laughs> you know what? It's sad, but I think there's a, there is a beautiful, beautiful naivety. You know, a lot of the stuff that, you know, maybe like Grace moved countries. How many countries have you lived in, Grace? At least two, right? Mm, is it more? F- four? Four, right? There's probably yeah, a beautiful, beautiful naivety like, I'm going to move countries. Yeah, why not? I started a rap magazine on a desert island in the middle of nowhere when I was 19, 20. Why not? I don't know. So that kind of naivety, if it leads to you exploring what you're about and what you're interested in, I think is beautiful. Um, yeah. And so not listening to older people, totally cool. It's like, like uh, I, got a friend, I got a friend who always talks about books and, and buying books and then are not reading them. But at the same time, the idea that like the book's there when you're ready for it, totally cool. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I, woof, I didn't expect to get all emotional with that question. Anyway, did you answer but- <laughs> the question though? Libby, did you answer the question? Yeah, I said I wouldn't have listened to myself. So you would have told yourself to listen to yourself? What, what, what would your no, advice have been? No, no, no. I, whatever I would have told my 20-year-old self, I know my 20-year-old self either wouldn't have understood it or would have just like written it off as like, I don't need to listen to that. What would um, you have told yourself? 
Oh, what would I? Oh, <laughs> that's very thank evasive. You. Yeah, no, no, it's, I'm not trying to be. It's Typical just, it's, interviewer. Like, <laughs> it's like you're taking me to a place I haven't gone before. Um, so it's like I have to, like, you know, scrounge through the rubble to get there. Um, what would I have told myself? What if the questions that you want to ask are the ones that you need to answer? Buyakasha, now you can answer the question. Yeah, I'm completely confused. Which one? <laughs> Stop buying yourself um, time. What would you tell yeah, yourself? No, I'm not. I'm not. Uh, yeah. So I would have told myself, look, gosh, um, life, your life is going to be pretty exciting. And don't stress the small stuff right now. Like, um, yeah, I would have told myself to not stress out so much. And, um, and just go along for the ride because it's going to be a pretty fun ride and there are things that are going to happen that you would not have dreamed of. <laughs> so, Very cool. Yeah. I wonder if there's something to do with youth and, and you know, the belief that you're invincible, though. Because when you're young, similar to what Libby said, you know, you just wouldn't have listened. And with me, the reason I said I, I, I would have needed somebody to literally hold me by the shoulders and shake me up is because, you know, when you're young, I mean, at least when I was young, I don't think I, I, I think I felt I didn't need that kind of advice, which is completely stupid. And, um, and it does give, it does give you and I'm a feel of a, a feeling of invincibility. And I think, you know, from the books that you read as well, it's young people who are going out and achieving all that. And today in modern well, culture, you know, it's all the young male technology entrepreneurs that are achieving these multi-billion dollar, you know, uh, projects or uh, startups. And I think, I think, I don't know why youth is, youth is said to have this feeling of invincibility around it. But I wonder, A, if, if it's true and B, if it's, it's not true of other parts, uh, other phases of life. <laughs> I think, I think you hit Okay, I might turn off some of the audience members here. I'm, I have a uh, Spotify listening station right now um, centred around Dua Lupa, and so it's a lot of young female musicians, and one of the songs is Taylor Swift's um, Only the Young, and I got listening to it the other day, and she's like, she's, you know, singing about only the young can do this, only, and I'm like, you know, it's right. Like, back to your point about naivety, there is, like, there's two sides to every coin, right? So there is that side to the naivety coin that is a benefit in the sense that only the young are going to, like, push things forward, especially from a political standpoint. I think one of the lyrics in, in the song is something like, the old are just only interested in lining their own pockets or something like that, um, whereas the young and naive have still got big dreams, big lofty dreams, and, and the energy and persistence to go after it. So, yeah. Mark. I wanted to sort of make a point and then ask a question, but Anjali, I, I think it's interesting to use your story. And, and again, as Libby said, thank you for sharing what, what, you've, what you've gone through. A lot of people, and this is absolutely not to be elitist, but there are a lot of people in this industry with, with pretty solid brains, you know, many, not all with status oriented and good. I'm going to separate those two educations, move to big cities, get big job, they were successful and better than other people when they were young, when they were teenagers. Their parents told them that for some, not all, okay? Major city, living the life, getting promotion. I'm a successful person. I'm succeeding. I got promoted. And then parts of their lives don't work. And they're like, what is this? I'm a successful person. I'm used to succeeding. My identity is that I'm a successful person. You sort of alluded to 
this, I think, which is yeah, why I yeah. wanted to ask you about it. Yeah. How was it to experience yourself as a successful person? And it sounds like you might have identified and seen yourself as a successful person for maybe 20 years yeah. or so already, yeah. maybe more. Yeah. And then for this really significant part of your life to not be, quote unquote, your word, succeeding. Correct. In fact, let's say it out loud. It was a complete failure, in fact, uh, for a long time. And uh, it feels completely demoralizing. It feels like there's no point um, to life at many at many different points in your life um, because you feel quite lost. You feel angry, like rage. You literally do feel rage. And then you feel a lot of um, hopelessness and frustration because this is one thing which you thought you'd be able to control just the way you have been controlling various other parts of your life and you realize you can't and there's nothing you can do about it and um, you know it, it starts affecting other things in your life and that makes you even more angry and, and sad and frustrated and um, it's it's incredibly hard it is stress it's like a form of PTSD, except pre, sort of during, um, not post-traumatic, but during the stress disorder, if there's anything like DSD. Um, but uh, yeah, it's, it's incredibly hard. And uh, yeah, there are points where you think you'll never climb out of it. Um, I have a lot of respect for the many people I know who are still in that phase um, and may, you know, may never be able to um, achieve that particular desire because that's just not the way, you know, the world has worked out for them and uh, it's hard because people don't see that people will make flippant comments when you're going through it and this is a period of years right it's not a period of a week or a month it's many years it's many months at the very least and people say things that make you want to either scream or punch them or you know make you want to just fall through the earth and just disappear and um, you have to learn to deal with all of that with a with some amount of grace and some amount of um rationality and peace and it's it's really really hard and um yeah it's, it's not easy the thing is i was never prepared for it and no one ever prepares you for that kind of an eventuality it's not something you're taught to do um again education you're not you're not taught that this kind of thing can happen you're not taught resilience which is why i think resilience is incredibly important for young people to learn um you know when they're when they're being taught at university or school or even at the workplace you know talk about these kinds of things so that people know what to look for what to look out for um role models so that they know that you know if it happens to them her chance. Uh, they're not the first people it's happening to. Um, therapy, you know, that kind of thing. Make it available where people need it. Because for most people, they will come out of it, right? They will come out of it, uh, come out of this tunnel and they, they need to be able to go on. And so what they went through at that phase will make them better in many, many ways. Um, so, yeah. Yeah. I think like the word resilience, I think is useful cousin of the word grit, mm -hmm. useful if you approach it with gentleness and not hard, got to work 18 hours a day and not have emotions. And all, cause I, I feel like those two words can get interpreted in a yeah. weird way and then used against people who are feeling quite vulnerable. Yeah. So I think yeah. re resilience might mean you just happen to keep going a bit mm -hmm. more, which is why it's useful to have those process goals rather than you're about to wake up at 5 a.m. and write your entire day on LinkedIn that you got up at 5 a.m., had a cold shower and did all this other stuff. 
Grace, what are some of the, you mentioned burnout earlier. What are some of the other topics that you feel that, apologies if it's weird to talk about age, but what do you, what do you think are some of the topics of, that people around your age could do better to talk about in public? Probably still mental health in general, I think. I would say still in our groups, of, in groups of friends, like I know people are showing signs of depression, but may not say that they're feeling depressed. And um, I see that at work and I see that even in friendships. I, I think people of all ages still have trouble talking about mental health, just at, like they can't, they don't talk about it like physical health. So much easier to talk about your broken leg than your brain might be feeling broken at this moment in time. So I think in general, probably mental health. Mm. Quick anecdote, and I say these anecdotes not to dwell in my own stuff, but because sometimes, and I get feedback about this, that sometimes just telling a small anecdote can help someone find the language to explore their own thing or just to feel not unusual. I did a little contra with a spiritual psychologist who was actually a PhD in psychology, but was exploring more spiritual work. And it's funny, she asked me what I wanted to solve for, what I wanted to work on. And the word sadness came to mind. That was four years ago. And I did, a, I did a couple of months of therapy last year. Same question from the psychologist. What do you want to work on sadness? I'm like, it's just exhausting. I am tired. 25 years of just feeling sad a lot of the time. And for decades, people didn't talk about mental health at all. There was a group of us that started to talk about it in the industry in Australia 10 years ago. No one really did it. Everyone was just talking about pitch wins and who they lured away from some other agency. And then some of us started to write these gentle stories and saw the ripple effect that it had. Uh, And and it's been beautiful. But I I sort of started to realize that this melancholy and sadness might be inside me forever. I've never taken medication for it. Not that there's anything wrong with um, whatever solutions you need, but... uh, I've sort of had to, in the way that Anjali maybe has had to reconcile her perspective, attitude towards the word success, I've had to do a bit of work just to reconcile, am I really sad? If I am sad, is that good, not good? Why am I sad? And again, I think that's why in, in moments when I'm self-expressing, there's, it comes from a place of love and joy. And what's weird is as you do that in public, people criticize it. And you're like, oh my God, I'm actually self-expressing. I'm expressing myself as a way to cure a sense of sadness and this overactive brain. And there are like anonymous people trolling me for it. So that's a weird thing to go through. Anyway, not sure if that's useful. Libby, what's the final question from me? I just, I I can't like just sit here and answer questions. I gotta, I gotta ask questions. What's the biggest question on your mind right now? What's something that you're trying to work through and work out either about yourself or your life that maybe you haven't talked about before? Me? Mm-hmm. Yes, Libby, um, that's how it yeah, works. Me. I say the person's yeah, name, yeah. ask the question. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Stop buying it. Very evasive. <laughs> I'm going to turn this to a therapy session. Uh, <laughs> um, I think I, I'm just, I th- this period of time gives me more silence than I have ever experienced before in the sense that, you know, there's more time to go for walks by yourself. You know, there's not a lot of social activities pulling you here and there. So um, what I'm finding fascinating is just delayering certain ideas and thoughts or seeing something that I haven't seen before. So this uh, there's been a lot of delaying for me this year. And mm. um, so I don't, I don't have like something that I need to answer or solve for specifically. It's just, the, well, I guess it's the constant 
solving for delaying everything. Like I, I think as human beings, we develop all these layers over the course of our lifetime, starting from birth. And it's then just, have you seen them and have you been able to take it off? So I just find that fascinating. I don't know what the next layer is that I'm taking off. I know there is one. I just don't know what the next one will be. I love my parents dearly, but there's been a lot of taking off certain hats that my parents wore that I started to wear. And, and so my husband and I now laugh about it. Oh, that's me being this. That's me being that. I, I, it's, I find it funny now because I just totally see me in those hats. And so it's just, you know, now it's also bringing humor to the situation as well. Um, but then just seeing like I can get tunnel visioned about certain things or overly stressed and anxious about certain things. Like the reason I asked, wanted to talk about these excerpts today, these things are still things that I'm working on is like decoupling desires from cravings. And I still manage to have the feet in both sides, so to speak, sometimes. Um, and so it's just working on that. That was okay. a really long-winded answer. I don't know if that... That's okay. Really I mean, it's, look, some sometimes, sometimes it takes a lot of words to avoid the question. <laughs> <laughs> Libby, you want to ask it again? Well, what was the last thing that you threw a tantrum about? I, I asked, I asked yeah, that. Yeah. I'll, I'll buy yeah, you good. time so that you don't yeah. have to. What's I, the I, last thing I threw a tantrum yeah, about? But let me explain um, why. I think tantrums, yeah. are, it's really worth paying attention to tantrums. Yeah. And sometimes you do them aloud. Sometimes you do them just inside your head. And oh, like, yeah. I did one in my head this morning. Yeah, what was it? Um, my husband reacted to something that I asked him and I didn't feel I asked the question that would drive such a reaction. And so then the tantrum I was having in my head is, I didn't deserve that response. That was the last tantrum I had. <laughs> okay, okay. It was all in my head. And then I came to the other side in my head and I'm like, mm, no, Libby, I think you're just taking a very egotistical reaction to that. <laughs> I love it. All right. Well, thank you for hosting this, Libby, and for suggesting that we yeah. do it. Where, I end with my, my little question, where's the best place for people to find you on the internet? For I gave you no, I Also, by the way, when I introduced you, I gave you no context. Yeah. I gave you no, oh. I didn't tell anybody what you did. Yeah. That's yeah, how much oh, I had faith in you. Oh, that's, that's awesome. Here's Libby. Where can people yeah, find you? Uh, um, they can find me on LinkedIn, Libby Swan. If you, I think if you Google Libby Swan combined with the four letters P-R-D-X-N, so that's five letters, P-R-D-X-N production, um, you will find me. Um, yeah, I co-founded and managed the company production. And we continue to grow. And Mark interviewed me, I think, last year about our growth and desires and, you know, continues to be a growth and a desire to grow this company and serve the people within it. Awesome. Awesome. Anjali, where can people find you? They can find me on Twitter at Anjali28, on Instagram also at Anjali28, at my newsletter, which is othervalleys.substack.com and storythings.com, which is where I work, as well as Ada's List, adaslist.co. If you're a woman in tech or identify as a woman in tech, please join. Awesome. Yeah. Grace, and I think we need credit for making no jokes about Ireland, Guinness and drinking. I almost threw jokes in when you were talking about <laughs> the seven colours of your food. I was almost <laughs> going to go seven colours of Guinness. We didn't do it, so we get credit for that. Grace, wait well you done. on the internet. Only on LinkedIn, and if you type in grace s-t-e-i-t-e i should be the only one that shows up in the world hopefully oh i love it love it yeah. well thank you all for being here and for uh being vulnerable and being open 
hope to see you all in real life at some point soon. I know. Yeah, Thank absolutely. you. Thank That'd you. Be cool. That'd be cool. Been brilliant. Thanks so much. Peace.